Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey, all you avid listeners out there, this is Dr. John. And if you enjoy what you're hearing on these joint podcasts with me and my fiance, Jory Rose, please know that we are offering a week-long retreat in Costa Rica in April of 2023 at one of the top resorts in the country where the body workers are next level and you will learn from myself and Jory how to be in better relationship to yourself, to your loved one, and to everyone else. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Please feel free to check out the podcast notes for more links, details, and info. Thanks so much. And now on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman. And I'm excited to have with me today as my guest, Alicia Buss, an empowerment coach and men's mindset coach. And Alicia is originally from Washington State, where she traveled across the country over the course of a four and a half month journey promoting her two global men's summits starting October, 2020. And she began her journey in a space of divine inspiration as she packed up her truck and drove away, not knowing where her travels would take her. Homeless, yet unafraid, as far as she reports, she drove across the country three times with purpose and joy in her heart during uncertain times and landed in Charlottesville, Virginia, where she now runs her medical massage practice while also coaching. And she strives to empower at least a billion people as her legacy. And I ran into her because of this global men's resource that she is pulling together. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Alicia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit more about how you came into this space of trying to assist men. Because yeah, you're a, a woman. Question. I am. I am. I definitely. 100% lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in this day and age, we just have to kind of clarify. It's really it's confusing. True. I mean, I just love to be accepting of all people. And, but I definitely identify as a woman. And I started my journey in, I believe, when did it start? August of 2020. Um, I had started my YouTube channel, Horsepower Empowerment Through Connection. And I interviewed a friend of mine who's a former Marine, Jake LaRue. And he was really brave and vulnerably shared his story of being convicted of domestic assault and battery and his journey of redemption through partnership with horses and how he helps other people who have been through that similar situation and veterans. And at the end of the interview, he said that he really wished he had a group of guys he could talk to about masculinity. And that was after the recording was done. And I say divine in, in, like inspiration because just out of nowhere, I like to say, or somewhere else, it was divine inspiration. I was just like, why don't I just host a men's summit? I had never worked with men before. I had never had the thought of working with men specifically in coaching um, or summits or groups. But my friend, a man, said he needed support. He needed help. He wanted a conversation. And so I was just like, yeah, like, let's just host a summit. And he's like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. And I like to be really inclusive. So I set this giant goal of wanting to have people come from every continent. Because to me, having a cultural perspective is really important. So many people never get outside their back door. You know, they don't travel very much. They stay in their same town or state. And it limits us to what we can experience and what we can learn if we minimize our perspective. And 
in that regard. So I started my journey in asking people, who do you know? Who do you know? I'm trying to create this event. And we had Hollywood producers, we had millionaires, we had life coaches, we had men of color, men with disabilities, different sexual orientations, we had veterans, we had stand-up guys that just had a message to share. And we do interactive activities with horses each day of the two-day summits. And that is how I started my journey of working with men. And as I asked more men about it, it was really fascinating about what their experience was with masculinity, what their experience was feeling heard and seen and understood and supported. And they would drop their shoulders and their eyes would soften and they would have this deep exhale and be like, finally, somebody sees me. And the more I experienced that, the more I realized what a huge problem it was for men not being supported in the world and not feeling heard and feeling damned if they did and damned if they didn't and looking, seeking for support and modeling, yet not knowing where they could find the support that they needed, how they could have the safe space that they were supposed to be providing for women and everybody else that they wanted to provide, but found lacking. Yeah, I, I, thank you for sharing that. And I think that, you know, one of the hallmarks of masculinity is that we wear a mask, mm-hmm. that we can't show our true selves, that we're always posing, fronting, pretending. And I, I think the biggest, um, the biggest aspect of the mask is be stoic. So you're mm-hmm. always trying to hold in those feelings and not really show how you truly feel. And I think that inherently prevents us from being seen. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's it it deeply hurts my heart that that's kind of the way that we're socialized. In fact, yeah. I, it's interesting. I went to um, my therapist yesterday, and we were talking about my difficulty with my fiance. When we get into a disagreement, I turn away, and she's trying mm-hmm. to turn towards, and I'm like, I have this really hard time turning towards during disagreement. And we were talking about it, and he said. You know, well, I think that there's some trauma there. And I said, well, yeah, you think? And I said, you know, I've been looking for it for years. And he said, well, you don't need to look for it. You already found it. I was like, ah. Mm. But, and then he, he said, you know, I think there might be some grief in there over never being seen. Yeah. And I'm 55. And, and this would be, you know, really young, right? Like zero to two, zero to three years of age. But I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I learned really early on to adapt myself to my mom's moods and emotions. Mm. So I was reading her. I'm not sure how much she was reading me. I was seeing her. I'm not sure how much she was seeing me. And so it goes back to that level and that those ages at times. And then it just continues throughout the lifespan. So what do you see as like, you know, you've mentioned a few times of having people from different continents representing different forms of masculinity. And I agree. Absolutely. I think to me, masculinity is socially constructed. So Mm -hmm. it's a function of how we're socialized within the culture that we grow up in. What are some of the differences you see among different continents or different cultures? You know, it's interesting. Or similarities, I I guess I can go that way too. Yeah, there are far more similarities than differences when it comes to masculinity in the conversations that I've had with men around the world. And it really comes down to that men struggle to be able to express themselves emotionally. 
Yeah. It doesn't matter what their socioeconomic status is or their religion or their politics or the color of their skin. It's that's what they're experiencing. And it just shows us about humanity. But there are yeah. certain core things that human beings struggle with and the societal pressures. The one thing that I found interesting um, a couple of years back was I spoke with a man in Germany and he said that his experience with men in Germany is that they still feel like they need to be good little boys because of what happened with the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah, I remember I went to uh, Dachau when I was 14. My Actually, my parents, my mom took a Girl Scout troop to Europe and we visited Dachau. And I remember just leaving there with a, that overwhelming nausea. And I was kind of curious at the time and I wanted to try and talk to people in Germany about World War II and the Holocaust. And I guess unsurprisingly, no one wanted to talk to me about it. Yeah. There's talk um, about like collective grief and trauma. Yeah. Across the board for a variety of reasons. So and there's trauma in other places too. I mean, with a, another man who's going to be on our summit from Uganda this year is going to be talking about the quarter life crisis and the and that's a very patriarchal society in Uganda. And the pressures that young men are feeling that they need to have a wife by the time they're 25 and children and be providing for that whole family structure. And there's a lack of jobs that are there, especially in the more rural areas and the pressure that's putting on people. And then the domestic violence that's occurring both at the hands of men and women in those situations, because they're just not getting enough support. There's not enough communication. The men are feeling very overwhelmed and burned out. There's a lot of depression and anxiety that's coming from that. A lot of drug use and alcoholism that's occurring as a result, just the societal pressure and expectations on these young men. And he would talk about basically that if he that men look at each other, that if you can't provide for your family, you're not a man. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, I've, I've seen this many times where job loss severely impacts our identity as a man, our idea of ourselves as masculine. And I, I've been looking at this idea of this, any sort of breakdown of masculinity is leading to shame. And shame's kind mm. of the grandpappy of emotion. Ah, the grandpappy of emotion, shame. <laughs> um, yeah. and Shame is the belief that we are unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. And I think, you know, we talked about that masculinity being the inability to talk about how we feel. And we're not supposed to talk about how we feel. So, as men, don't feel is kind of the message we get be stoic. And yet, as humans, we feel. And those two come into conflict. And I think the result is shame, which increases our sense that we're not worthy of connection which you know, can lead to all sorts of things like anger, drug addiction, depression, abuse. I, I mean, it's, and, and that to me seems to be a really, I guess, oversimplified explanation for a lot of these issues that we find going on with men in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that people are struggling with in regards to connection. And we become so disconnected from ourselves that it becomes difficult to live an authentic life. And that just furthers the spiral, right? And the masks and the fear and to not be able to be vulnerable and even to yourself. And like, who am I really? If you take all those masks away and then all of a sudden you have an identity crisis, especially if you're dealing with um, what are my coping mechanisms for trauma? 
Yeah, and it, I mean, it's fascinating because I've kind of run this idea of the man box culture to a variety of people in different cultures around the world, uh, from you know um, conservative Jewish people in New York to men in the Middle East to men in Africa to men in uh, Asian countries, um, Canada, and everyone says, "Yeah, we got the same thing growing up here." The words are a little bit different, but the meaning is the same. Yeah. underneath. And there is some exceptions to that, which I find fascinating, which are like these island cultures, um, Polynesia, uh, Samai, New Guinea, like there's some places where resources are plentiful and there's no country that's a threat to invade. Mm. And therefore society doesn't have the same need to develop men as soldiers. It is interesting. And I think some of those places that you're talking about are more tribal in nature. And you have people that they're still holding themselves as a collective group and support. And there might be clear delineation into what their roles are within that space. And not that one is better than another at all, or that a person couldn't do either, but rather that's just their traditional space. They know what they're supposed to do. It's been modeled for them generation after generation. There's more consistency and stability there. Right. And then also, I forget which tribe it is in Africa that um, if somebody does something wrong, they go into the middle of the circle and then the whole tribe tells them things that are good about them. Oh, that's awesome. That that reminds them that, like, yes, you made a mistake, but you're still human and you still bring value and you still have all these positive things about you. And so that's the opposite of what our culture oftentimes experiences when we make a mistake. If we make a mistake, we're shamed. Like it's something that like, oh, like I'm afraid, like I need to hide versus somebody coming forward and being like, it's okay. And here's how we're going to help you make better choices in the future without basically telling you that you're a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because even if others outside of us aren't telling us we're a piece of shit, we're really good at doing that to ourselves. Oh, yeah, for sure. Gosh, I remember when I was young um, and young like a teenager, right? And I was just this ruthlessly honest person and people would get upset with me. And I didn't understand why because I was so much meaner to myself than I ever Mm. was to anybody else. And so I was just like, I don't get it. And I had lots of work that I needed to do. Like I'm 42 years old. Like I've done the work. I continue to do the work. I'm grateful for the growth that I've had. And that's part of the reason I have so much compassion and empathy for other people because I'm like, yeah, like I know what it is to experience like debilitating depression and anxiety and rage and like all of these sorts of things. Um, and the coping mechanisms that go with them at times, right? And some of which are healthy and others like maybe not so much. But anything in life, it's about balance, right? And how do you move forward from those spaces? But yeah, the whole like mindset, it's everything. You know, like how we speak to ourselves really does make a difference. Oh, it's huge. And down to little stuff, like I was talking to my son recently and he was beating himself up because he felt he was supposed to be, quote, as productive as he could be. Mm. And I said, you know, why don't you change the language in your head a little bit and just back that off a little bit and look for small steps and just look to be productive or just look to get something productive done. 
Because it's even in those, like, I, I really like the idea of self-compassionate goals of having these smaller goals so that you can kind of learn to pat yourself on the back with each step that you take rather than like the example I used to give was um, I would make a to-do list and I would put huge freaking tasks on the to-do list, like <laughs> create website. And then I'd look at that and I'd get paralyzed because it's just too big. I'm so, so I'd big. Break it down to, you know, <laughs> find URL, write text for opening page, find photos, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. then you have more things you can cross off the to-do list, which feels good. But um, yeah, I, I think our inner voice is incredibly powerful in shaping who we are and how productive we are and how we feel about ourselves. Let me let me ask you another question. So you mentioned something about, you know, you're doing the work, you've done the work, you're still doing the work. Do you ever get resentful at having to do the work? No, not for myself. I don't get resentful for doing the work for myself. Sometimes I get like a little bit resentful for doing the rest of the work, if I'm being completely honest, because like helping the men is sometimes feels like hurting cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And I don't know. I mean, like the last, the last summit I did, like it was, that was a lot to to take on as a single person. I had never created summits before. Everything was new. You know, I was on the road and I was working like 10, 12 hours a day. I feel like for honestly, at least six months, like just on the wow. summits that, that I lost money on. Like I made no money on the last two summits. And, um, and I got to work on ego and expectation. That was a really big life lesson for me in that part of it. And I think that for most of us, that can be a daily journey when we're um, confronting that and needing to back off. Because I feel like so much of life, the pain in life comes from a space of ego and expectation. Like I should be able to do this. I want that person to do this for me. I want the situation to work out a certain way instead of being able to just be present and grateful for being alive and showing up the way we do and having grace. Well, and yeah, thanks for the explanation. I I apologize because it was kind of a leading question because I do feel (laughs) resentful at times for having to do the work. And I'll tell you why, because I think this, um, it's really specific to men, I would argue. Mm. I'm not sure this is entirely true, but we are taught as men to, to be stoic, not to feel, but to know, you know, we're not supposed to ask for help. Mm. We're supposed to be self-reliant and we hate to be embarrassed. And when I do the work, it makes me feel like I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm bad at this. It's embarrassing and it's fucking painful. And, and yet it's the only way, the only, the only path forward to me is to go through that. Yeah. If you're shooting Uh, for something like success and happiness, real success, which includes happiness. Yeah, no, for sure. I can vulnerably share in regards to that, uh, to be certain. Um, Because to me, that's more my journey as a business owner. Because I don't like to fail. I don't like to feel like I'm failing. I don't like to feel like I'm letting people down. I have certain expectations for myself of what success looks like. Um, uh, Being at... like. It's going to sound arrogant, but it is what it is. Being a highly intelligent person, uh, things came really easy to me for most of my life. And so you, when you get used to having instant gratification for most of your life when it comes to creating things, and then you work on something and it doesn't immediately work. And when I say immediately, I'm talking like 
three to six months. Yeah. Playing the long game is something that's very new and very uncomfortable for me. Yeah, five and to 10 years. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Excuse my language mm-hmm. or anything. I'm just like, it is so, like, talk about just like ruthless honesty. That's like the universe being like, Hey, so we know that things have been easy for you for like in different ways and hard in others, but this is, we're going to show you what that really looks like. And <laughs> so, yeah, embarrassed, sure. Feeling uncomfortable, feeling like you should know how things go. Yes. Do I resent that? I feel like resentment isn't the right word, but it's frustrating. And I'm just like, am I not doing the right thing? And I get really excited about all the projects and all because I, my heart for humanity is so huge. Like, I want to help so many people. I've been like that since I was a kid, but this is the largest endeavor I've really taken on. And it's hard to balance like my massage practice. I have that. And then I have all these groups and the summit. And as a single person, you get spread really thin. And I think that that shows up as individuals who aren't necessarily business owners. They're just people like you're maybe you're a husband and you've got kids and you've got this career and maybe like the people you work with are really hard and maybe you're like coaching your kid's softball team and like and you've got a dog you've got to walk and you got you know you got to help clean and cook or like whatever whatever your combination of life is that might make you spread too thin or maybe you just had a shitty day at work and somebody cut you off in traffic and you get home and the, your partner says one thing to you and you just lose your mind and you're an antagonistic jerk. Or maybe you came home and a dog got in the trash and you're just like, I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> that's that's human, right? That doesn't make yeah. us terrible people. It doesn't make us failures. It doesn't make us idiots. But we sure feel like all of those things all, all at once sometimes. Yeah. And, and I agree. And I, I got to say, I, <laughs> I I feel like I have such a dichotomy in me. I, maybe it's a paradox. I don't know. But I, I, am, I love emotions. I am an emotion geek. I've spent my career studying them. And at the same time, I fucking hate emotions. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? I like, like those, yeah, those I moments do. where <laughs> the emotional mind comes out, takes over me, and I say something <laughs> stupid or hurtful or embarrassing. And then I'm like, fuck. Yep. Why did I do that? Why did I yep. say that? Why couldn't I control those emotions? Yeah. And it's just because like we all have our bandwidth that gets eaten up and it doesn't matter yeah. how much education, like you do counseling. I've spent my life like working on emotional regulation and I'm an empowerment coach and a mindset coach. And yet I still have those moments where I am not mindful and I do not feel empowered. And it's, I mean, my rebound rate is faster than most people that haven't done the work, but it doesn't stop me from having moments of feeling like I can't control myself. And and the frequency is far less. Like I lose my shit way less than I used to, but I'm still super sensitive. I still you know, I still get hurt easily. And yeah. I mean, my, my fiance, Jory and I will kind of joke about it as that fucking humanity, right? We're still human, which pisses me off at times. Sure. I want to be, I want to be completely controlled. It's frustrating. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Mr. Spock, you know, and just, I don't want these emotions. Oh, that's Damn so, it. that's so interesting. Yeah, my my boyfriend and I I love my boyfriend. He's amazing. He has a great like growth mindset and we work through our stuff remarkably. But I bring this up just because he like when we're trying to solve a problem, he wants to really like 
talk it to, through to the nth degree. And I will like hit the wall at some point and start to shut down because that's just like my stuff that I get to deal with. But we've jokingly come up with like, we have a safe word now that we're just like, when we get to a point for either one of us that we're just like, we don't have the bandwidth to continue this conversation. We can just talk about it later. What's we your like safe word, safe- Rutabaga? No, it's Saturn. <laughs> oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, Actually, I think I'd pick Uranus. Because you know. said it, ha- it has, because it has like uh, a lot of rings. It has a lot of rocks and rings, and so like, okay, you nice. have to navigate I like that. to like get to your goal. <laughs> yeah, he came up with it. He's great. Um, but it's fantastic because we we're so grounded in ourselves, and we have this beautiful relationship and respect for one another that when one of us says that word, we're done. Yeah, like we honestly like respect it, and we let it. And just drop and then we move on to something else. And that takes a lot of self-restraint because mm-hmm. most of us, like we have that moment and we've got a point we want to get across and you're in it and you're like, oh, um, but you just have to take a deep breath and be like, okay, this is like, my partner has told me that I, this is it. They can't, they can't do this conversation anymore. And if we push it past this point, it is going to become dysfunctional. It's going to create a problem and it's not going to be good. And yeah, but if you if what you want is resolve at the end, if you really want to have a resolve to that conversation, then you need to honor that space. Yeah, and, and I really, I mean, I'm we're kind of in the same spot, and I'm you in my relationship. Um, <laughs> and it's it's interesting because I really like the idea that if you think of the intensity of anger on a one to ten scale with zero being calm, 10 being incredible Hulk enraged. When you get past a five on that scale, you are useless in any argument or disagreement or conversation that you become anger and there's very little rational you left. And so it doesn't make sense for me to get into a shouting match with someone else because they're not listening to me and I'm not listening to them. I'm just trying to prove how right I am to them. And I'm just trying to get them to say, oh my God, John, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. But I mean, so to have the awareness in the moment to say, I'm starting to get triggered. I'm starting to get annoyed. I need to get out of this conversation and have a way to do that is, I think, huge because you know Gottman's research has, shows that we need about 20 minutes to calm our physiology down. So that we can calm down enough to re-engage. But I've I've learned with Jory that a lot of times we have to circle back to these disagreements or uncomfortable situations via conversation two, three, four, five times. And if mm. one of us is still, you know, thinking about it, if it's still top of mind, we'll come back to it. And the great thing is that the further away we get from it, the more calmly, objectively, and curiously we can approach it. And eventually get to that resolution. But yeah. When absolutely. I first started doing that, I was like, oh shit, we got to talk about this again. Right? <laughs> You're like, I thought we were over this. I, I still do a little <laughs> bit, but it's still, again, the best way forward. Absolutely. And just like getting to know yourself and what you need is so important. It's just like, do you need space? Do you need sleep? Do you need food? Do you need fun? Do you like, what do you need to come back to a space of neutrality? And if you don't know what those things are, um, what are the resources you need to find them? Do you need to talk to some, like a counselor? Do you need to talk to a coach? Do you need to talk to one of your close friends? Um, just well, honoring and also, where you're at. How does your pattern in conflict trigger your partner? 
How does it impact your partner? So I would shut down. I would start to stonewall because I was getting emotionally flooded. I didn't want to say anything out of anger that would hurt Jory, but my shutting down would trigger her abandonment fears. So she would pursue. Oh, yeah. No, that, ha- yeah. No, that happens to me too. That, that and she would pursue and I'm like, ah, I need to get away. Yeah, the abandonment stuff like that that sometimes yep. happens to me too and it's that's where it, the assuming positive intent and knowing your partner is so important because when you're just like this is not me like this abandonment issue like this isn't me that's a trauma response to something mm-hmm. which to me is separate and so it's just like hey I just need you to have faith that I'm like I'm okay we're okay like we're just we need time and space or whatever it is that needs to resolve. But it took me decades to Uh evolve that skill on my own, especially without a counselor. Like I had a boyfriend in my twenties and we were like, we were a hot mess. We were like a bipolar relationship. And it took me many years to just be like, Hey, I'm getting, I would literally tell him, I'm like, I'm getting irrational right now. And we need to stop this conversation. And if he would keep nattering at me on the phone, I'd be like, if you don't stop, I'm going to hang up. And he'd keep nattering. And I would just like literally hang up on him. Yeah. And because I'm just like, this isn't healthy. Well, and I'm and, like, and that's a good... when we both calm down. But right now you're being an asshole and I'm not going to do I it. I mean, anymore. that's a good point because I, I've <laughs> dealt with a lot of dyads, I guess, because like it might, it could be a parent and child or it could be, you know, husband, wife kind of a thing. But, you know, where they're getting, they're escalating in anger. And one says, I need a timeout. I need a break. And the other one can't do it. And so they pursue in anger. And, you know, yeah. the other one, one will try and shut themselves in the bedroom and the pursuers got their foot in the door, you know, no, you know, like, and that's a mess. Like yeah. that to me is a lack of emotional awareness on the pursuer's side that they've got to do their work to become more aware in the moment when they're getting triggered to be able to allow for the timeout. Yeah. Or just be like, I don't have the restraint right now to stop yelling at you because I'm so pissed off. So I'm literally going to have to physically remove myself from this situation until I take, like, I can calm down because that's taking responsibility. Even if you're just like, I don't know why I'm so angry or why I can't stop yelling at you, but I know that like your response and my response are not conducive to us actually resolving the situation. So we're just going to That's a significant shift that you just touched on right there. Just the shift of going from, if you would stop being such a fill in the blank, I wouldn't be so pissed off to my anger, my responsibility. And I I would say that over 80% of the population has not made that shift. And they'll say they have. But what's the action? But they haven't. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And I think that's where healthy modeling is so important, which is a huge reason why I do these summits, why I host the men's group, the Global Resources for Men, which has over like 340, I think, men on Facebook from around the world. And it's to create a safe space for people to see that other people are struggling with similar issues and that they've made it through it. They've made progress. We're like, oh, that person has experienced something similar to me. Therefore, they will be less likely to judge me for the experience that I'm currently having. And they might be able to facilitate me getting to the other side of that. They might have knowledge that will help me. And I'm not there to tell men how to be men. I'm there to talk to people about the experience of being human. 
Mm-hmm. and what we're struggling with and how to be safe and have grace with one another, with ourselves, to forgive other people, to forgive ourselves, because forgiveness is not the same as condoning an action. I always like to make sure that is very clear with people because <laughs> some of us don't realize that. And um, yeah, be like, there are so many resources out there for people. It's just a matter of getting them to the people that need them. Yeah, you touched on a couple of big points there. So I want to just back up and reiterate that I think it really would help men in general to make the shift in their mind from I'm a man to I'm a human. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is just, you know, me having a human reaction, or this is just me being full spectrum masculine. You know, and and to me, full spectrum masculinity means having access to all your emotions and not judging them as good or bad, just merely as messengers. And then also having the ability to separate action (laughs) from behavior too. Absolutely. And I think it's important to express Sorry, emotion that, from behavior. I misspoke. No, it's okay. To express that I don't think that toxic masculinity is a thing. I think that there is mature masculinity and there is immature masculinity. And that immature masculinity creates toxic situations, not that masculinity itself is toxic. Because like you could have quote unquote toxic femininity as well, which people don't really talk yeah. about, but that equally would just be immature femininity creating toxic behaviors, environments, and so on and so forth. What we're trying to do is model for people what healthy femininity and like mature femininity rather and mature masculinity would look like. And we have those two energies within us. And it's like, how do we find balance? How do we find acceptance? And just be like, I am who I am. But what does that look like? And how do I show up for other people? So let me ask you this and feel free to pass on the, the question. But Because uh, I know you don't teach men how to be masculine or how to be men. And what do you think healthy, mature masculinity looks like? That's a great question. So I think mature masculinity looks like a person who is able to communicate about his feelings and be able to have healthy boundaries and to be able to lead in a space of um, grounded sovereignty, meaning to be able to not have to be in the limelight, to not have to put people down to make themselves look better, um, to be able to just be solid. Does that make sense? I I like that. I I think I agree with all that. I think part of it to back up a little bit, you know, you said to be able to communicate about your feelings. I think the precursor to that is emotional awareness. Yeah. Um, And then increasing emotional granularity. So you've got a better vocabulary to describe how you are feeling. I think um, communication within relationships, boundaries, as you said, is a big one. I think the um, ability to be comfortable with those sides of yourself that have traditionally been viewed as feminine, which you know I could describe as compassion, empathy, sympathy, nurturing, um, being supportive, those kinds of things. And I think it's knowing which parts of yourself to bring to any specific situation. Because I think that's a beautiful of, explanation. They're, they're going to have to we have to adapt ourselves to best fit the situation. So in other words, if you're going to play football, then okay, traditional masculinity, I think works great for that. Be aggressive, ignore your pain, don't back down, be competitive. But if your two-year-old daughter falls and skins her knee, you need a different, different parts of yourself to be nurturing and calm and reassuring. Absolutely. 
Um, and I, I think to me, that's full spectrum masculinity. No, I think that's great. And I think that um, being aggressive, there's a time and a place to be aggressive, like mm-hmm. you're saying with, with football, right? And I think that oftentimes society says that being aggressive is bad. But I think that being aggressive without boundaries is bad, but not that being aggressive is bad. Well, and I think it depends. Like if you're special ops in Afghanistan, I need you to be assertive and aggressive. I need you to be in command. If you're a police officer, I need you to be in command. Yeah. Like that's, that's part of the role. And I, I think that's an important part of the role. Um, and so again, I think it, I'm not opposed to that. I think we need that. We need those, we need people. I'm very appreciative for armed forces, for military, for fire, as am uh, I. police. And I, I think it's just, you got to figure out what are the best parts of yourself to bring to any particular situation. And I've had other men push back on that and say, well, we're supposed to bring all of ourselves to any to every situation. I'm like, mm, I, I don't think so, honestly. Like, so I don't, I have, I have I don't want you crying uncontrollably at work, for instance. Well, too, it's like, so for instance, when a group of Marines are together, they act in a way that is totally different and what their societal norms are, are their agreements when they're on the battlefield. Now, those actions, and that can be their authentic selves, right? Those actions, those words are not going to be appropriate in church, mm-hmm. in a library, at your kid's school. Does that mean that you're well, not you being don't, yourself? You don't know my kid's school. That's true. We did have... We did have <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some, kids, some schools, like especially in, you know, like more inner city areas, you might need to bring that same sort of yeah, mentality. Yeah, but the point being, obviously, that like <laughs> you still get to be yourself. You're just accessing a different part of yourself. Like we are such complex beings that we could literally not be all of ourselves at one given moment. It's not possible. Well, we're full of dichotomies and exactly. paradoxes. I mean, just exactly. like we have competing needs, like the need for novelty and the need for certainty. Yeah, those two are. I mean. They're not conducive to one another. They're at odds with one another. Yeah, and I mean, and I love to like play like a, like a kid and live in a space of wonder and joy, which I think as adults we need to do more of. Oh, absolutely! Like across the board, regardless of gender, we need to access that inner child and let them free and let go of the shame and judgments and considerations that we have with that. But if I do that when I'm at work, <laughs> that's probably not going to fly, you know. But it's just a different, it's a different hat, as we used to say when yeah. I was growing up. You just take off. I, hat I really like doing hat. that when I'm at Disneyland, <laughs> acting like a complete moron. Yeah, it's so fun. It's like but, that's the space. You know, the funny thing is that one of the biggest barriers to doing that for men is the fear of embarrassment or the hatred of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always talking with my clients about like, all right, so it's embarrassing. What's the big deal? Like, what, what is it about embarrassment? And, and that's, that's what actually led me to this realization, right? I was looking at the class clowns back in high school in my head, like, huh, like, what were they able to do? Like, I, I admired them and I admired their ability to be able to make people laugh, usually without hurting other people's feelings because they were often mm-hmm. poking fun at themselves which meant that they were really comfortable with embarrassing themselves because they would embarrass themselves to get others to laugh. And I was like, right. huh, 
And, and so it made me start playing around with embarrassment in my own life and becoming more comfortable with embarrassment. And it's, it's really freeing because, you know, social anxiety is kind of the epitome of embarrassment or worrying about embarrassment because you're worrying about negative judgments from other people. What are other people sure. going to think? Yeah. I'm like, what if you just didn't give a fuck what other people think? And so I'm, I'm often teaching clients to just care less. Like that's the mantra, care less or fuck them. Yes. And it's an interesting sort of thing. Um, just in even saying that, right? Like just be like care less and then fuck them. Right. Because I feel like one has more uh, negative connotation and one is like, I'm going to just have more autonomy within myself. And it's just, it's fascinating how um, we build things together. Yeah. And, and I think, and I mean, because, because so, right, one, is, one is angrier. The yes, one is, has some yeah, anger to it. It's, it's angrier. And so like, sometimes it can be like, we're channeling energy towards something. And also people can definitely use it as a coping mechanism to be like, fuck them. Like, I don't give a shit. It's fine, but then we're just creating more walls versus well, I'm salt and I told yeah, no, I get it. It's gonna be a good conversation that we're coming from this. And then the other one, of course, being like, you know, I'm I'm solid within myself. And what they think about me is really none of my business. Like that's yeah, their journey. I love that quote. And yeah, it's it's great. It's like that's their journey and that's something they get to carry. And I'm not going to take on the energy or thoughts. I'm not going to have their judgments impact my life. Which has a totally different energy than the others. Yeah. And and I think, you know, just to provide context, I look at caring on a one to ten scale. So how much do you care about others? How much do you care what they think? And oddly, a lot of people, the vast majority of people I work with are like at a nine or a 10 on that scale. So they just care too much, which in general is a good thing. But if it's you know making you socially anxious, or if it's making you feel guilty when you haven't done anything wrong, I mean, there's a few ramifications of it, then we need to find yeah. some ways to dial that back a little bit. And you're never going to be at a one or a two. But so one of the first things I'll play around with is, you know, tell yourself, care less or Fuck them. Depends on you know what works for you, what you need in the moment. Of course, yeah. No, I, I agree with your understand. points. Yeah, thank you. And it's just interesting to me how we bring the energy to different things depending on the headspace that we're in and what the client needs, kind of in front of us, right? And meeting them where they're at because it's about a gradient. Because yeah. if you go out gradient with somebody in conversation, then they're just going to be like, you make no sense. And that doesn't work for me. And you're like, no, you got, you got to give them like sometimes those micro goals like you were talking about for your list. And, and the other thing that's interesting is I'm, I'm just thinking back throughout my career because I've worked with men for, I don't know, 25 years, pretty long it's amazing. time. And thanks. And, but I've adapted the language that I use and the tools that I teach um, to be able to connect with men of differing levels of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And and so I'll often throw out, like I'll throw out things like you could say fuck them or you could say care less, whatever you choose. Right. And, you know, because to me, those are different levels of masculinity in my my mind anyway. Like I'm thinking the more traditionally masculine people would be like, oh yeah, fuck them. Like I need that. Whereas the people that are a little further along might be just like, yeah, care less. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. Um, So there's another topic that I wanted to get to, and and we only got about 10 minutes or so, but I wanted to touch on equine therapy because that 
fascinates me in terms of, I mean, a number of levels, animal intelligence, animal empathy, animal self-awareness, but also the, um, the emotional contagion idea between human and horse. And why does that matter in terms of helping someone heal? Yeah, no, I'm glad that you asked about that. So I do the equine facilitated coaching since I'm not a therapist. I always like to just tell people that because we do have different scopes of practice. So if you are dealing with your past more, you want to be dealing with a therapist. If you're more in the present, you can work with a coach or a therapist um, for people that have not been introduced to the difference. Dr. John, feel free to like add anything in there that you Oh, you're good. You're all good. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) So with the horses, so horses operate with nonverbal communication. A lot of people these days have- Except for Mr. Ed. Uh, Yeah, because he's amazing. Um, Many of you might be too young for that reference, but that's- <laughs> TV was in yeah. black and white, Dr. John. What? You, what are, antennas? What are those? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. So, horses work in nonverbal communication. So, like raising your eyebrows, like smiling. These are things that are nonverbal communication, right? How we operate with our hands, like, or like other things. <laughs> that you use while driving and uh, <laughs> <laughs> your number one finger your yes exactly your number one finger um and so since horses work with nonverbal communication it helps people who are not as aware of nonverbal communication a lot of people are stuck in front of their computers their phones and they're just lost when it comes to nonverbal communication, being more aware of energy exchange and intuition. And so I believe that it increases people's anxiety because nonverbal behavior, it helps to predict what somebody's going to do. And so if you are unable to predict what that person is going to say or do in front of you, then that of course increases your anxiety because you are less aware of how safe that situation a person is. So when we work with the horses, we are able to come into a space that's more grounded because we teach the people to be present. And a lot of people struggle to just be present because they're too stuck in their heads. And they're just like, well, walking, floating head around. Um, but so human beings... I blame Descartes for that. Ah, that dang Descartes. I think therefore <laughs> I am. Yep. But I, I mean, you know, when we're stuck in our heads, the heads, well, the mind will often take us to the past or the future. And so, yeah, that's... It's a problem. It can be. And people disconnect from their bodies a lot. I've noticed that tremendously over the course of my medical massage career. It's very apparent. And like put my hands on somebody's body and they're like, I had no idea that hurt. Like, like, well, you know, like it wasn't there just at this moment. It actually brought you (laughs) in with that. Um, That's why I'm fixing you. Um, But yeah, so we have an electromagnetic sphere around our bodies as human beings that's radiated from our hearts. Um, so that's proven by science. People can look it up. It's fine. That's yeah, heart, <laughs> heart math research. Heart math research. Emanate six feet great. out from the body. Exactly. So horses also have this electromagnetic sphere that radiates around their body. I forget the exact distance, probably a but bit it's bigger. Pretty, I would think. Yeah, probably like bigger 20, heart. 30 feet. Like yeah. it's fairly extensive. So when our energetic sphere overlays with the horse's energetic sphere, then we can feel like there's that coherence, right? Because you were wondering how the emotions impact each other. So energetically, the horses can impact the human just like the human can impact the horse. And so the horses traditionally are calm 
And when they're not calm and you're around them, then you can ground your energy within range of that horse's energetic sphere. And then the horse will calm down. And it's pretty amazing to experience that in real time. Be like, oh, my energy impacts other sentient beings. So if I'm impacting a horse, am I impacting a human that's next to me? I'm not saying anything, but I'm feeling things that create discord within me that then another person can feel. It's like somebody's in a room and somebody walks in and you're like, oh my gosh, that person's just like a walking black cloud, right? They didn't say anything. They just walked into a room and you read their energy and their nonverbal communication, like how they had their head down, maybe and their shoulders up and they're curled in. Um, and you can notice if somebody's sad or somebody's really happy, right? They're not saying anything, but their energy's big and they've got this giant smile and their eyes are open, and right? And so that's what we help people to be able to recognize more and take responsibility for their personal experience without shame and helping them learn more about the emotional regulation and then how they can move that energy to move the horse at liberty without any ropes connected to it, which is really cool for people. And it's been known to help like veterans with PTSD, help people work through trauma a lot. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it's been, equine therapy has been shown, coaching therapy has been shown to be quite helpful. Uh, I think Basil Vandercook has been really big as, as one of his modalities for treatment. and because we need ways to get to trauma that are nonverbal, because most trauma happened to us before we had the words to make sense of it. Um, but the other story that I love kind of based on this is because of these ideas that you've just eloquently shared, I remember I went to Thailand with Jory and we went on this elephant kind of, I don't know, I, we met elephants. And like and an elephant we, sanctuary. Yeah. And we, we, I remember getting off the bus and they had like a, a mother elephant and then they eventually brought out a baby elephant. But because I had confidence in these ideas and I went to introduce myself or meet the, the mother elephant and she was massive, I could keep my energy calm and relaxed and was able to go up to her and, you know, put my head, I don't know, two to four inches away from her forehead. Amazing. And it was just, to me, it's odd. Like, it doesn't get any better. It's awe inspiring, right? It's just, yeah. Um, and I remember then we got to play with the baby elephant. He was like two or four months old and a couple hundred pounds. And like, I remember I was wrestling with the baby elephant, or he was wrestling with me. And Jory kept, she was like, look up, look up. I want to take a picture. Like, what do you, like, leave me alone. Like, I'm wrestling with a baby <laughs> elephant. It doesn't get any better than this. Let me be present. Let <laughs> me be. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That is super funny. So yeah, I really appreciate the equine therapy approach. And it's it's fascinating to me because the older I've got, the more um, open I am to a lot of these different modalities that I think when I was younger, I was like, yeah, maybe. Um, and yet there's a lot of legs to a lot of these. Um, and there's a lot of research behind them now as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been so grateful to see that happening more and more. My postgraduate degree was in equine assisted learning back in 2017. And so it's been fun to see it just evolve in the last like five years. And I I grew up with horses. And so I inherently knew about that, but to get to actually go and yeah, experience it and talk to different professionals. And with my podcast for the Horse Power Empowerment Through Connection, getting to interview people from around the world that are partnering with horses for equine-facilitated mental health and therapeutic riding and equine-assisted learning and horse-powered reading. And we have horse-powered math now. And like we can partner with horses to help kids with literacy. Like It's just amazing. Wow. Yeah, That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I would say it's a challenge for those of us who didn't grow up with our horses or large animals because you get around these large animals and you're overwhelmed by their size. And then it's easy to go to fear or anxiety of, you know, what if they hurt me? What if they, you know, like they're much larger than me. And so it's interesting to be able to get to that point of calming yourself down with them and trusting them. Yeah, people ask me about that too, because some people are really afraid of horses. And they're just like, well, I, I'm interested in what it is that you do, but I'm terrified of horses. And I said, that's completely fine. Like, we can start with you being on the other side of the fence from the horse. And I am a strong believer at working at a healthy gradient and meeting everybody where they're at without judgment. Like it takes the time that it takes. Like that's why it's so important to let go of ego and expectation and just allow yourself to be where you are and find the resources and the people that meet you. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about kind of allowing the time that you need to move forward without judgment. It's a journey and it's different for all of us. Like maybe your friend experienced something similar to what you did and they got through it a lot faster than you, but you have no idea the like extensive nature that that person already like went through, right? The support that they have, the depth of the experience. And it's important for us to just not be comparing ourselves to others. Well, I really like that idea that trauma affects us all differently. I think largely based on the degree of our emotional sensitivity. And so it's really hard to compare apples to oranges. Yeah. Um, because I, I think there's some trauma that I would consider, you know, somewhat, well, let's say less traumatic that can impact people heavily. And there's some trauma that I would consider, wow, like that's some serious trauma. And some people walk through that without much of an issue. Yeah. It's amazing. And everywhere in between. And, and there's yeah. no right or wrong to that. <laughs> Definitely not. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a big idea too, that, that there is no right or wrong. Like there is no right or wrong to your emotions. But really? So when I feel depressed as a man, I shouldn't feel ashamed about it. Huh? Yeah. Emotions are neutral and we assign value to them Mm -hmm. societally. And I think that once we realize that we assign value to our emotions, we start to become more empowered. Yeah. Um, So let me ask you this, uh, just in wrapping up. So I'll have all the links in the show notes but tell us briefly like where we can find you. Tell us about the Global Men's Summit. Anything else you Absolutely. want to add? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So you can men only, sorry, ladies, you can get the recordings later. But for the third annual Global Men's Summit on Masculinity and Mental Health, men can purchase tickets at www.globalresourcesformen.com. And because this uh, event is more about reaching people than money, you can also use the community code on the Eventbrite to get it for free um, if you are in a space that you are struggling to be able to pay for tickets. This is on the honor system. So if you can't pay for the tickets, please do. But if you can't, 
please feel free to use the code because it's more important for us to be able to give you the support that you need and be able to engage with some really amazing men around the world. So there's that. And then if people are interested in being on my show or being able to do some empowerment coaching with me or men's mindset coaching, go to www.globalequineaffiliates.com and you can book a discovery call or a collaboration call. And then to not leave the ladies out, we do have the Playful Pivot membership group where we have group coaching and you can do one-on-one coaching with me and that's www.playfulpivot.com. I like the name. Thanks. <laughs> to help people um, find joy during times of transition. Well, and, and thank you so much for coming aboard and sharing as you have, Alicia. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on. And we're going to have you on the summit. So if you want to hear more from Dr. John, you can come see him on the Global Men's Summit on December 9th and 10th. And we have lots of different amazing gifts available for people that they can win, including three different three-month membership coaching, um, not membership, but three-month coaching programs for people. And then we have books available. We've got discounts to modules for learning programs. It's We've got a lot going that we can support guys because it's all about global resources for men. Thank you so much. And if you need any of those links again, they will be in the show notes. And that's it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman. And if you like this episode, please feel free. We would appreciate it if you like, share, rate, and send it to your friends. And if you didn't <laughs> like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thank you so much. <laughs> And we'll see you on the other side. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 